Well, good morning. Sometimes I don't get a chance to go to the bathroom during intermission. And then I wonder what I ought to do. And then I have this theory that maybe it'll just, it'll make me a better preacher. Um, so, um, okay. So preaching is, uh, I've never said that before. I've thought that so many Sundays. I've never said it out loud. Well, maybe, maybe today will be the day I learn why I should have kept it in. Keep it in, Mario. You're so good in your head. So bad out here. Okay, so um, preaching is an interesting thing. Um, different people have different expectations for sermons. I don't know if you know that. I don't know how much you think about sermons and preaching, but I'm, you know, I think about it quite a bit. And different people have different expectations. There are some people who what they want out of a sermon and what they think makes a good sermon is different than what other people think, right? And so some people want... Um, conviction. Like they want to feel convicted. They want the pastor to get up there and talk about something and, and it, it kind of hurts. You know what I mean? That, that they feel bad because, and then they want to change their behavior because they felt bad about the thing that they were convicted about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and some of you know that because that's you. And then there's others of you that might go like, wow, that's crazy. Like, so you're saying, Mario, people show up at church wanting you to make them feel bad. Yes, okay, people show up wanting me to make them feel bad, and if you, and if you, are, if you are too much positivity and too much, like, encouragement, like, they, those kind of people can go, come on, like, tell us something that we need, you know, if, if every single sermon is, like, if God leads you to it, he will lead you through it, right, like, there are people that would say, like, that's fine once or twice, but, like, if 52 Sundays a year, it is, if God leads you to it, he'll lead you through it, like, you start going, like, no, come on, you know, say something that, like, that hurts, you know? And then there are other people that are the exact opposite. They want all encouragement all the time. And they would say, like, life is hard enough as it is. I do not want to show up at church and have more, like, difficulty and have to hear things I don't want to hear, right? There was a, there was a guy who used to attend our church, and he, there was one time when I was preaching on a sin that he, let's just say, that he was particularly good at. And, and so in this in this sermon, I was preaching on it, and, and it offended him, and then he stopped coming. Like, he didn't, hadn't come for like five weeks in a row, and I remember talking to somebody who knew him and saying, like, oh, where's he been? You know, I've missed seeing him around. And like, oh, it's that sermon you preached. Like, it really offended him. He, like, went home and said, that bummed me out, and he was so upset that I talked about um, this sin that he did. And so um, I just wanted to let you know, like, that's the thing. There are some people, they want encouragement, and some people want conviction, and that's not just the only two things. There are some people who show up at church, and they think to themselves, like, what I want out of the sermon is I want to learn something that I didn't know before, okay? And there may be some of you that are in that category, right? But that's your idea. A good sermon is one where I show up, and I learn something that I didn't know, I didn't already know. And the people that are in that category sometimes can, they, they could show up to a church and the pastor could just do like a, just a bang up job on explaining the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's the guy that's on the side of the road and the Good Samaritan shows up and the Good Samaritan helps him. And they explain the story and they explain it, making, you know, doing with that story exactly what Jesus meant for it. Like they preach it correctly. This is what the story means. And, and there can be people that walk away from that church service and you go, was the sermon good? Well, no. Well, why? Because I already knew that, right? I'd already heard that story. I already knew that lesson, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And then there may be other people that, again, they're different than that. They go, no, it's not about learning something I didn't know. I want to be challenged toward a mission, right? I don't just learn things I don't know. You could have some people, the two people go to the same exact sermon, right? They're there and they both hear it. And and one person goes, oh, that was so good. Mm, I just learned all these things I didn't know. That part of the sermon where the pastor talked about the sheep herding practices in the first century, like, oh, I did not know any of that. 
right? And it was so great. And the, the nomadic shepherds, and they go from field to field, and they set up these temporary pens, and they, they have the staff. And, and he explained why the staff has like the curved part at the end. Oh, I didn't know any of that. It was so good. And then someone else that was there in the same church service goes like, yeah, I didn't know any of that either. And who cares, right? Like he, he didn't tell us to do anything, right? What kind of sermon was that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, not everybody likes every sermon. That's fine. I'm totally aware of that. Um, and, I'm, I, and you may not know this, but from the preacher perspective, not every sermon, is the, like, not every sermon has the same goal. Not, not every time do I get up here do I have the same exact goal of what I'm trying to accomplish. When I preach here um, verse by verse through a book of the Bible, which is something we do here a lot, probably more than half the time, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And when I do that, typically I have no agenda other than to just explain what that passage is about and how it applies to your life. That's, that's the agenda. So like going back to earlier this year, we were preaching verse by verse through the book of Proverbs, and we got to Proverbs chapter 2. And the, I had a sermon that my, the point of my sermon and the title of my sermon was, Foolishness Will Destroy You. And someone could have been here that day, and they go, ooh, why is Mario preaching on this? What is his agenda? Does he know a bunch of like foolish people, and he's trying to like get them... No, foolishness will destroy you is what Proverbs chapter 2 is about. Like that's what Proverbs chapter 2 says. So I said it because that's what Proverbs 2 says. And I said it on that particular Sunday because the Sunday before we had done Proverbs chapter 1, right? So we did one and then we did two and then I explained what two is about. That's what we do most of the time here. Um, And so that's it. Typically I have no agenda other than to just explain the passage to you and what it has to do with your life. However, series like this one are different. Intentional is different than when we preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. The goal of this series, my goal in this series, has been to remind you of the mission of our church, which is to love God, love each other, and love people who don't know God yet, and to motivate you to accomplish it. My primary goal in this series has not been to educate you about a particular passage, but to mobilize you toward a particular mission. And so those of you who like to be challenged toward a mission, you will probably like this series extra hard, okay? And I'm happy you're here. I'm happy all of you are here. All right, today's topic is intentional ministry. We're going to talk about ministry. What does it, what does it look like? Like, what is ministry and, and what does it look like when a Christian serves God as a part of their church? What does it mean to serve God as a part of a church? And then after we've talked about that, I want to talk to you about two ways to actually go about doing that. So what is ministry and then two specific types of ministry for you to pursue. So let's start off with what does it mean to minister? What does it mean to serve God as part of the church? If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to read to you Romans chapter 12 verses 4 through 8. This is a section, actually the book of Romans all, all of it is written by Paul. So this section is written by Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman Christians here, explaining to them how they are to interact with one another and how they are to serve God as a church. And so I'm going to read you verses 4 through 8. He says this, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. 
leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So what is going on here? What is the Apostle Paul talking about? Well, as he's telling these people how they are to interact with one another, he uses an illustration, and that's where we began. Verse 4 is an analogy. Verse 4, he says, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. When I say it's an analogy, I mean there is nothing super spiritual about this verse. He is just explaining something that everybody would understand. Okay, you, you don't have to be a Christian this morning to understand what he's saying here. He's saying something very simple. He's saying, you have a body. And you are aware that your body, first of all, in one sense, it's one thing. It's your body. But in another sense, it's a whole bunch of things. Right? It's a whole collection of body parts. So you're, you have one body, but you have multiple body parts. Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, knees and toes. And he's saying, just like you have many parts in one body, all the parts do not have the same function. Toes don't do what knees do, and knees don't do what shoulders do. They each have their own function. So that's it so far. Super simple. Everybody already knew that, all right? In fact, the people are like, I want to learn something new. Sorry. All right, so far, all we've established is what we already know, okay? You got a bunch of body parts, and they all have a different function. And then the next verse, he explains why he's, like, what, what's the analogy for? He compares it to something spiritual. Here it is, verse 5. In the same way... Meaning just like it's true that there's this one thing, but it's really a collection of many things, and the many things have different functions. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That the way that the church of Jesus Christ works, the way that the body of Christ works, the way that God's people works is we are, in one sense, one thing, one body, one people in Christ. And in another sense, we are a whole bunch of individual parts. And as individual parts, we are like head and shoulders, knees and toes, in the sense that we do not all have the same functions. We're not all the same. So we have a whole bunch of different people with different functions all together, many in one body, individually members of one another. And then after he establishes that, which makes sense, there's a whole bunch of us and we're all different, the next verse then moves into him describing how different Christians have different gifts, that God has given them different gifts, different things that they're good at, different functions that they have. So the next verse, verse 6, says... According to the grace given to us, grace meaning you don't deserve it, right? So this is, because Jesus has shown us grace, you don't deserve it. It's not because you're so good, but God saves you by grace and he even gifts you by grace, which is what a gift is, something that you do not earn. So by, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And then he lists in this passage, seven gifts, so the first one that he lists is prophecy. He says, if prophecy, in other words, if your gift is the gift of prophecy, then what are you supposed to do? You want to know what he says? It says, use it, right? If your gift is prophecy, then what you're supposed to do with that gift, the reason God gave it to you is use it according to the standard of one's faith. And then he moves to another gift. If service, then what are you supposed to do? If you have the gift of serving, if you are particularly good at serving, what should you do? What area should you use it in? In service, right? Well, then if teaching, then what? In teaching, yeah, so this is real easy, right? You, some of you go, oh, the Bible's so hard to understand, and then you come across this verse, and you're like, no, no, like, I totally get it, right? So if my gift is service, then I use it in service, and if it's teaching, then I use it in teaching, and if it's in exhorting, then I'm supposed to use it in exhortation. I get this. Okay, so then if I, my gift is giving, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be generous. Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, right? We are one body, multiple functions, and the different people that have different gifts, by grace, they have different functions, and the thing they're supposed to do is their thing, if service and service, if teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, if showing mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. So ministry is, I believe ministry is serving God, accomplishing his will by doing your part in the body. 
And therefore, ministry will vary from person to person. There's not going to be like just one right way to do ministry. This is how you do ministry. No, there's going to be a whole bunch of different ways to do it because toes don't do what knees do and knees don't do what shoulders do, right? And teachers don't always do the same thing that the servers do and the servers don't do the same thing as the givers. So ministry is going to vary from person to person, but it's all of the people together in one body accomplishing God's will, each part doing their part. So that's ministry. Now what I'd like to do for the rest of the sermon is I want to talk with you about two types of ministry, two like categories of ministry for you to think about pursuing as you serve God as a part of the body. And the two types of ministry I'm about to tell you, first of all, I believe that what I'm about to explain to you, I think it's important. I think that it is very helpful to know what I'm about to explain to you. And it's one of those things, I think, that it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. And it's like a category changer that once you start to think of ministry as, okay, it's this and it's this, it, it very possibly could change the rest of your Christian life because you'll be thinking, okay, it's this and it's this. So I think it's really important and helpful for you to understand what I'm about to tell you. I think also, not only is what I'm about to tell you important, I think what I'm about to tell you is obviously true. I'm about to teach you something that is obviously true, and by that I just mean I think everybody in this room is going to agree with it. I think I'm going to say, and this is not always the case, I don't always think that when I preach, ooh, certainly everyone will agree with every word I say. I'm aware that sometimes I preach and people go, I don't agree with that. But the thing I'm about to teach you, I think it may possibly be 100% of you are going to go at the end, well, of course, of course everything falls into those two categories. That, ha that must be true. And even though what I'm about to teach you is important and obviously true, it is not taught on much. And I don't know why. This is, what, you're, what I'm about to tell you is important. It's obviously true. We're all going to agree on it. And yet, for some reason, it is not taught on very much seriously. There are very few sermons explaining this. This is a concept that I um, often teach in our Intro to Good News class. I guess I can apologize to you now if you're someone that attended our Intro to Good News class and you're hearing something you've heard before. Um, but I will let you know, I do not usually in that class go as far in depth as I'm going to today. The two types of ministry that I want to talk to you about are called formal ministry and informal ministry. And those are the words that I use. Maybe somebody else has taught on this at some point and they called it something different. But this, this is usually what I refer to it. Formal ministry and informal ministry. When I say formal, I'm not talking about anything having to do with the way you dress. It's not like formal ministry is when someone wears a suit and a tie or a dress. And informal ministry is when you serve God while wearing a tank top or yoga pants or whatever it is you're into. And nothing to do with how you dress. By, by formal ministry, I mean structured ministry. I mean multiple people organized into a system, there are leaders, there is training, there are policies, this is the way we do it, this is the way we don't do it. And when I say informal ministry, I mean not structured, I'm serving God, not connected to a system, no title, no supervisors, no rules. So an example of formal ministry would be, let's say you're here in Ocala and you decide you want to serve at the Women's Pregnancy Center. The Women's Pregnancy Center is a great Christian organization on Silver Springs Boulevard here in town, and they help women who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies. Um, the director of the Women's Pregnancy Center is actually here this morning. She led, led us in worship for one of the songs. Um, so let's imagine that you decide you want to you, you wanna be a part of that ministry. What you would be doing is you would be helping out in formal ministry. In other words, you are going to be showing up to an actual organization, 
and there's a building that you'll show up to, and then you go into the building, and you do the ministry inside that building, and there is a director that is in charge, and there are trainings, and, there, and you would get a title. Like, if you get trained, and you do what it is that they're training you to do, I believe it's called client advocate. Is that the right word? Yeah, who, who's up to date on this? Um, so, client advocate is the title that you would get, and there would be certain policies. This is what you say. This is what you don't say. This is how we handle it around here. Okay, that is formal ministry. Another example would be if you volunteer to be a camp counselor at Royal Family Kids Camp, right? That's an actual organization, right? And you'd go to an actual campground and there's the, 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 what you do is you show up and you do what has been pre-planned and there's leaders and there's a director that's in charge and there's a schedule that you follow and there's a curriculum that you do and, and if you, you, there's a training that you have to show up for and once you've gone to the training, you get a title, camp counselor, that's what you are. And there's policies that they teach you. We do this, we don't do this, we hug the kids from the side. Like all of this different stuff, it's formal ministry, it's organized, it's planned. Okay, I get that, that makes sense. Well, then what is informal ministry? Informal ministry is when you're at work, and there's that guy that you work with most days, and you look over at him, and you say, are you all right? And he says, yeah, I'm fine. And then you say, because you don't look all right, like you almost look sick. And he says, okay, I'm not fine. My dad just died two days ago, and it is tearing me up, and I don't know what to do. I haven't told my kids yet. I don't know how to tell them that their grandpa's dead. Uh, they're going to ask me questions about where is he now and is he in heaven, and I don't even know what I believe about any of that. I don't know how to plan a funeral. I only have one sibling. She's coming in from Vermont. We hardly talk at all, and we're supposed to plan a funeral together, and I don't, I don't know how to do this. And I've been thinking about his life over this past 48 hours, and honestly, he was a miserable man in a miserable marriage. And then I look at my own life and I feel like I am on the exact same path that he was on. And then you say to that guy, okay, I'm here for you. I'll walk you through that. Like, I'm here for you. I will help you get through these next several weeks. That's ministry. It's not formal ministry. But that's ministry. And the reason like, why I like to specify these particular two categories and get you to think about both of them is because I think that there are many people that when you talk about serving God, they usually just think of one of those two ways of serving God. I think a lot of people do that. You think, oh, well, what's serving God? If you, maybe you grew up in a church where serving God was always volunteering to help out with a program at church or at some organization. Every time Ministry Sunday came around, it was always, we need volunteers for Awana and we need volunteers for this thing and we need some volunteers for this thing because that's what ministry is. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It, that's correct. That is. But there's more to it than that. There's a whole other kind of ministry that's important for us to be aware of. And there may be some of you the other way around, and you go, and I don't even know if I believe in any of that stuff. And I'm kind of sort of anti-organized religion, and when people start making rules and policies and leaders, and that's when everything gets out of whack anyway, and I just really like just helping people, right? And it's like the story of the Good Samaritan. Like there was the guy on the side of the road, and what did the Good Samaritan do? He didn't start a program. He just helped the guy, and that's what I do, and I don't need to be told to do it, Right? And so I just think that there are going to be people in this room that you mostly think of one or you mostly think of other, the other, or, or some of you, because of your background or because of your personality, you're going to gravitate toward one or the other one, right? Isn't that true? Don't some of you have those kind of personalities? There's some of you that are going to be like, you know what I like? I like when things are efficient and I like when things are effective 
And so I don't want a bunch of people just going around willy-nilly trying to figure out how to minister. Like I want there to be somebody in charge and there is a plan and there is a proven formula and what I'm doing is not a waste of my time. I'm showing up and I'm saying, okay, you've been doing this for two or three years. You are effective in what you're doing and, I, and plug me in. I want to help out, right? Some of you are that way. That's great. And then there are others of you that go, no, no. That's when everything gets all, you know, just they have to have a special title and there's programs and it becomes too formal. And no, I just, I, just, I just want to help people and I definitely don't like people telling me what to do, right? You know who you are. <laughs> we have different personalities. We have different ways that, you know, that we lean and the kind of different ways that we're wired. And so what I wanted to do in this sermon is I just, I really wanted to get you to think about one that maybe you've already thought about and then really get you to consider the other one because I think that they're both so valuable. And so I guess before I even tell you why I think they're both so valuable, let me show them to you in the scriptures. I'm going to show you in the Bible where we see examples of formal ministry and informal ministry. If you have your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 18. We'll start with informal ministry. Acts chapter 18, great little story here. There's three characters in this story, and I guess I'll just I'll read it, and then I'll go back and explain it. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24. I think this is a great example of some informal ministry going on. A Jew named Apollos, that's, that's the, one of the main characters here. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus, that's a city. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so that's two more people, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, it's a man and a woman, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote to the disciples, urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. What is going on in this story? It's such an interesting story. There's this guy that shows up in Ephesus. His name's Apollos, and he is a good preacher. The story says so, right? This guy is a particularly good preacher. So he's going around, and the, passage, the, the, the Bible even says not only was he a good preacher, but he, the, he spoke and taught things about Jesus accurately. So he was a true preacher. He got up there and he was preaching to people about Jesus and he was saying true things. But apparently he was saying incomplete things, right? He was teaching the truth, but not the whole truth. There was something that he was unaware of. It says, um, although he only knew, he, sorry, he knew only John's baptism. So he was saying true things about Jesus, but wasn't saying the complete story about Jesus because he only knew John's baptism. I don't even know for sure exactly what that means. Perhaps it means he only knew what was known up to the point of right around the time when John the Baptist was baptizing. Maybe that's the part that he understood, that when John the Baptist was baptizing, he was telling people, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so these people were getting baptized and they were repenting for their sins because the Messiah was to come. And, and John the Baptist even said about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And maybe Apollos understood that, oh, Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. So he we went around maybe accurately telling people, Jesus is the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world. But then after that period of time with John the Baptist, a bunch of other important things happened, didn't it? Right? He, Jesus died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven. And he sent his spirit down upon his people. And perhaps Apollos didn't know that stuff. So he's teaching the truth, but it's incomplete. And what happens? Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, this is interesting. So they heard him preach and they go, oh, he's right. 
he's just missing some information. And we have the information he's missing. So what did they do? This is very interesting. It does not say they went up to him and said, you've got to go to seminary, right? We, we need to formally fix this problem. No, look what it says. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Or that took him home can be translated, they received him. They received him. They took him home or took him aside somewhere, and they said, hey, you're doing great, but there's a thing you're missing. This is what you need to know. And then they taught him what he needed to know, and then what happened? According to the rest of the passage, he became an even better preacher than he was before. He started doing even better than he was. But I'm trying to point out to you that there was an issue where someone was lacking information, and there are other people who understood this is a situation for teaching. I need to give information to this person who doesn't have information. And they did not start a formal class. They just taught the person what the person needed to know. They just pulled them aside, took them to their home, and said, we just want to tell you about this. Right? It was informal ministry, was it not? Okay, well, is there formal ministry in the Bible? I think there is. The idea that there would be kind of a system in place, and this is the way we do it, and these are the leaders, and this is how we do it. Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'll read about four verses. I don't know why I said about. I'm going to read four verses. Um, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the, what's the next two words? Daily distribution. We'll get back to that. Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers... Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can, what's the word? Appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. What is going on here? You have this group of people, and there is, as best as I can tell, a formal ministry that's in place. It's a widow, some sort of ministry that takes care of widows, feeds them or gives them money. In verse 1, it's called the daily distribution. In those days, when the numbers of disciples was multiplying, there was a complaint that arose between these two different groups, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. What? Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. That, to me, does not sound like an informal ministry. If this were informal ministry, if what was happening in Jerusalem at this point was you just had people who were just randomly helping widows, like, here I am, I'm in my house, and across the street from me lives a widow, she needs some help, so I'm going to help her. I don't think a complaint would have arose under that system. If you just had some people, some people were random, I don't, think one of the, I don't think the Christians would have stood up and said, hey, I am, I'm upset because I just saw a Christian be nice to a widow. That's not fair, right? No, that's not what's going on. What was going on? There was a system set up, right? There was a daily distribution and they were not being treated equally. And people said, this isn't right. We got a system here and you're overlooking some and not others. There was, it, it, was a, it was a formal ministry, not people just randomly helping people. And then what did they do? If you remember the rest of the story, what did they do when they said, the system is broken? What's interesting is they made the system more structured, did they not? What was the solution to the problem? They took it and they said, okay, the, the, the organization, the system that we have in place is not working right, so let's make it more structured. We're now going to break it into two departments, we're going to have seven of you that are assigned to take care of widow's duty, and then there are going to be 12 of us that are assigned to preach and pray duty. It's interesting that in this particular case, the solution to the problem when there was a systemic problem is let's structure it 
even more. Let's break it down into two departments. Let's organize this better. It's formal ministry that got even more formal. And then one other passage I want to show you, and I just like this one so much because I think it's an example of formal ministry and informal ministry all in the same sentence. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 16. Now this verse I'm about to read to you, the context is, there's a whole paragraph that comes before it. And the whole paragraph that comes before it is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy about a formal widow ministry. And he is specifically telling him how to handle it. It's in a different city. It's not in Jerusalem. It's in Ephesus. And he's telling Timothy, this is what you are supposed to do as you're taking care of the widows. And he gives them, in these verses, all these policies. And this is the age that a widow has to be to be put on the official support list. And this is, this is all the stuff you got to do. Do this, don't do this, do this. All these policies of how the church is supposed to handle this formal widow ministry. And then, at the end of that paragraph, he says this in verse 16. If any believing woman has widows in her family... She should help them, and the church should not be burdened so that it can help those who are genuinely widows. Do you get what he was saying? He's saying to Timothy, listen, if there are some people in your congregation and they have some widows in their family and they're able to help them, then they should do that so that the church can focus on the ones who have nobody to help them. Or to use, it, to use the words I've been using in this sermon, isn't basically Paul saying, if you can help someone out, if you can minister to someone informally, then do that so that you don't overburden the formal ministry of the church. Do you see that? Now, isn't that helpful? Okay, good. Somebody over here? Two people over here. That's fantastic. I think, I think it is so helpful to be able to think in these categories because they're both valuable. Formal ministry is valuable because there are times when you cannot just have everybody going off and doing their own thing. There are certain endeavors that require multiple people and some organization and some structure and some leaders and some followers. It has to be that way. There are certain things that that's the, way it, that's the only way the job will get done. A great example of that would be um, disaster relief. If you've ever seen a, like on the news where a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake hits a particular town or a particular area, there are organizations that hit the ground and they go to help the people that are there, right? Samaritan's Purse or Red Cross, whatever it may be. And I can tell you, it, those are formal ministries. You do not have a bunch of people that volunteer for those ministries, and then you show up, okay, and there's been a tornado or whatever, there's been a hurricane that's ravaged this town, and then you've got 25 volunteers all show up, and they're all just standing around, and then somebody just looks around at the other ones and goes, well, guess we should get started. Let's go uh, help people. That's not what they do. That is not what they do, right? You show up and they've got trucks parked there and this truck has blankets on it and this truck has water in it and this truck has food in it and there are people who have been trained as how to drive these trucks and there are plans in place and there are people that are in charge and there are regional directors and there are volunteers that are under the regional directors and there's a list and there's a plan and there's a we're going to take the northwest side of town and you take the southeast side of town. Isn't that what happens in those cases? Yes, that's what they do because that's what's needed. If, if you just, all, everybody just showed up and said, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'm just, I just want to help people. So let's all just go do that. What's going to happen is one or two families are going to get a lot of help and the rest of the city is going to remain devastated. Also, if you remember the gift, the, the list of gifts that was listed back in Romans 12, when I read that at the beginning of the sermon, one of the list, one of the gifts on that list of spiritual gifts was leadership. Do you remember that? Leadership was one of the gifts. That means God has gifted some people to lead and organize other people to do things that they would not do on their own or that they could not do on their own. 
And so formal ministry is so valuable. And informal ministry is so valuable. Informal ministry is so valuable because much of what God has called us to do is informal ministry that just needs to be done without someone telling you to do it or supervising you. Like God wants you to care about the people that are in your life. He's called you to, to minister to and care for the people in your life, and there can't just always be somebody over your shoulder reminding you and telling you to care for the people in your life. It's just the ministry that God's given you. I mean, many times you're going to be in a situation where you're someone who is able to teach, that you have information and you're able to teach someone that doesn't know it, and so you've got to be like Priscilla and Aquila, and you just got to do it. You've got to go, oh, I see the situation. I see what's, I see, this person doesn't know this. I can do something about that. And there are others of you that are going to be gifted differently. And if you're someone that's more like a server, you're sitting there and you go, I got two hands and I'm looking at a situation that two hands could fix this. So then what should you do? Take the two you got and go fix it, right? When you're someone that sits there and you go, I see what needs to be done. If we were going to care for this person, someone needs to lift it. Someone needs to move it. Someone needs to set it up. Someone needs to tear it down. Someone needs to clean this. And you sit there and you go, I could do it. Well, then, then do that. Some of you need to speak God's word boldly in a situation where it is needed without waiting for an official to show up and get involved. Some of you just, there are going to be situations you just need to give money to somebody. And some of you, you're going to need to rebuke somebody. And sometimes you'll be in a situation where you need to encourage somebody. And there won't be a program for it. But it's what God's called us to do as each part of the body does its work. So here at Good News Church, I wanted to get you to consider serving God in these two ways, thinking about serving God in these two ways in particular, because there are probably some of you in this room that you need to join a team of people and practice playing well with others, right? That you've, you've for a long time in your life, it's just been, I'll do it on my own, 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 and really the day, this is the day that that needs to stop. There are some of you that need to join a team of people in order for you to be able to accomplish things that you could not accomplish on your own. And there are some of you in this room that may need to think about how you can meet the needs of the people that are around you without waiting for a formal program to start up. And so as far as formal ministry goes, I will let you know we do have some needs around here at this church for volunteers. We sent out an email this past week asking for you, some of the people of this church, asking you if you would consider um, coming and being a part of both services that we have here on Sunday morning, 9, 15, and 11. We asked that some of you would consider to come to both services to, so that one of the services you would attend and the other one you would work in kids' zone. And so if you're, in, like, if you're someone that can help us in that way, I'm asking you, please, please help us out in Kids Zone. If you're interested, we would love for you to apply. The way that you can do that is at the, the Kids Zone welcome desk. It's the very first room that you walk into when you walk into the building next door. We would love for you to help us in that formal, organized, there's classrooms and kids and lists and curriculum ministry. We would love to have you help us. Um, there are also other Christian ministries in this town for you to cooperate with. There are some that serve people that are having struggling marriages and some that serve people that are in crisis pregnancies and some that serve the poor and some ministries that serve the homeless and some that serve kids that are in the foster care system. And they need some of us to say, I'll help out. And I, I'll, I volunteer to be a part of that system and, and fix that problem. And so all of that is great. It's very important. And I, I just wanted to make sure I said it to you. 
And in the midst of that, I don't want you to forget that if we are going to become the congregation that God wants us to be, all of us will need to serve God informally. The idea that, well, like once or twice a week, I will do something for an hour and then I'll do whatever I want with the rest of my life. Like that's not what you do with a Lord. All of us will need to serve God informally throughout the week. Some of you, you need to just remember this. We've got to minister to our families. You've got to minister to your classmates. You've got to minister to your teammates. Minister to your coworkers and your neighbors and vulnerable people and lonely people and people who don't know Jesus yet. And one of the reasons I believe I, I need to get every once in a while really specific in a sermon like this and remind you of ministry and these two types of ministry in particular, one of the reasons is I think that when it comes to informal ministry, it's just so easily forgotten. It's just one of those things that Christians can just almost think it doesn't count. Like, I, I really think that there are Christians, I don't know if this is specifically an American thing or all over the place, but I feel like there are a lot of people, I'm sure you're aware of this, they almost act like if you're not doing something in an official capacity, it's the same thing as not doing any ministry at all. If you're not serving God in an official capacity, you're not serving God in any way. Like, that, that can't be true. And yet, we fall for this, even pastors fall for this. I remember watching a sermon one time, like, uh, you know, on my computer, um, is a pastor of a big church in Texas. And at this particular church, he, the, the church that he was the pastor of, apparently the attendance at that church was about twice the size of the volunteer base. So in other words, um, the number of people that were showing up every Sunday was double the number of people who were volunteering at that church. And the pastor, and this was years ago, but I think he was talking about what their church had accomplished that, that year and then he said something like this. He said, and this is what we did even with half of you sitting on the bench, not ministering. And I remember watching it and thinking something like, wait a minute, pastor, you don't know that. You don't know that half of them were sitting on the bench, not ministering. You only know that half of them weren't volunteering at your particular ministry. But you don't know that she was out there helping a single mom trying to be able to make sure that she made rent that month. And you don't know that that guy over there hasn't been trying to share the gospel with the guy who sits next to him in geometry class. And you don't know if that guy's not been helping his neighbor um, who's been going through a divorce and it's a real difficult time and he's been there for him. They might not be sitting on the bench. We don't know. And I don't mean to be too hard on that pastor, because honestly, I thought about it this week, and it's possible that I have said things like that in the first 10 years of my ministry, because I didn't always know this. But I know it now, and you know it now. I think it's important for all of us to acknowledge that ministry is more than serving at church. Ministry is serving God anywhere. And in fact, most ministry probably has to happen outside the walls of the church. You want to know why? Because that's where the world is. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but like 99.9% .9 of the world is outside of the church building. <laughs> and well-run Sunday morning church services will not change the world unless they teach their people to go out there and change the world. And honestly, even then, it won't happen, at least not in the way that it ought to, unless those people who go out and change the world are people who are in a relationship with God through Jesus, are serving God in reaction to his mercy, 
and are empowered by his spirit. But imagine if some of us who fit that description did it. Imagine if hundreds of us who know Jesus, who have received his grace into our lives and in reaction to it want to serve him. Imagine if hundreds of us filled with the spirit of God start using the gifts that God has given us to serve him in structured ways and in in unstructured ways all over the place. Imagine us teaching and proclaiming and giving and serving and leading and exhorting and showing compassion and giving. Imagine us, hundreds of us, making a difference in our corner of the world. And then imagine every other church doing it too. That's the plan. Many of you in this room are already doing this, and so to you I say, keep up the good work. And I would imagine there are, in a room this size, there are some of you who needed to be challenged and needed to be reminded to serve God, and maybe some of you specifically needed to be reminded to serve God in structured and unstructured ways. Unstructured ways because so much of what God has called us to is unstructured. And structured because there are certain things that we cannot accomplish unless we organize and do it together. I hope that's helpful to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this, and I pray that you would help. I can pray that this truth would, would hit us in the way that it should. Maybe there are some of us who just think like, well, if it's not official, it's not nothing, or something like that, and we need to start realizing, like, no, there's so many things you've called us to, and no one's going to even know we did it except you, and that's enough. And then maybe there's so many of us that are going, well, no, I think I help God all the time, and I don't need to be involved with all those people. They'll just get in my way of serving God anyway. And you've called us to be brothers and sisters, and you put us on a team. And then maybe there's some of us who, because we're not doing one or the other, we feel guilt. Maybe there are people in this room and they're helping people and they're helping people, but they're not specifically on the hospitality team and they're feeling bad about it. And maybe this will be a time for them to be like, oh, I get it, I get it. And maybe there are some of us that have been serving in one way and realize, oh, I I really ought to serve God in this other way as well. And so I just, I thank you for this and I pray that if we ought to feel conviction that we would, if we ought to be encouraged that we would. But I I mostly ask that you would make us into a ministering church, make us into a church filled with ministers. I pray that we we would minister in reaction to your good news and empowered by your spirit. And I just pray that you would be the one that makes that true among us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.